You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. So for the first five years of my life, I was the only grandchild on my mom's side of the family. So you know what that means, right? Undivided attention at all times. Every time I show up to grandma and grandpa's house, it's like, ah, mijo, do you, do you want me to like, make you a cake? Uh, oh, mijo, do you want me to take you to Baskin Robbins? You want to go and uh, watch some cartoons? Or what, what do you want to do, mijo? What, what, what can we do for you? That's what like the first five years of existence were for me until, you know, my other cousins started to come along and ruin everything. Um, but it was, it was fantastic. And what was really funny about it was that for the first few years, it was only my aunts, my uncle, and uh, my parents that were around, and all of them called my grandparents mom and dad. So, you know, I'm a little kid, I do the same thing. Hey, they call them mom and dad, that's their name. So I called my grandparents mom and dad. And uh, a lot of my early memories of childhood, a lot of my best memories from being little happened at that house, uh, and a lot of them happened specifically with my grandpa. You see, he was so proud to have this grandson, and especially the first one, just so excited about it. And he would take me everywhere he went, right? He would go to breakfast in the mornings, and we'd get tacos. And, uh, you know, at the time I was little, I didn't like tacos, so he would have me, uh, he would have them make like a grilled cheese for me, because, you know, his, his mijo had to have the right stuff going for him. And, um, you know, we'd have this great time. He, he owned a little distributorship of tortillas here in San Antonio. So he would take me sometimes uh, for his deliveries. And, uh, you know, there were also times that in the afternoons and evenings, he would take me along with them. And my grandpa was just a dude that just loved people. And he never met a stranger. Every time he walked into a room, there was a different energy about it, just a personality that was bigger than life. And uh, he was just a jokester, too. He always had a million stories, and he was always looking for a way to kind of poke fun at people and, and just kind of uh, have fun with people. And one of his favorite ways to do that was when I was little, he would bring me along with him, and he'd run into a friend of his uh, that never met me before. And he would go, hey, uh, this is my son. Did you know that? And the guys would be like, uh, no way, dude. You're kind of old. Like, there's no way that this can be your son. And my grandpa would be like, yeah, yeah, it is. And he would look at me and go, mijo, mijo, tell, tell him who I am. And I would look at them and I'd go, that's my dad. And the guys would be like, no way, awesome, Rico. And they would high five him and all kinds of stuff. And I, I was a little kid. I don't know what was going on. I was just happy to be a part of the, the whole thing. So our bond continued throughout the years. Uh, he was at baseball games, honor roll ceremonies, and random afternoons uh, when he just wanted to come by and, and drop off some pan dulce. I think you can see like a, a, something developing here that food was a big deal, like Baskin-Robbins cakes, pan dulce, tacos. You know, it, there, it was always... Uh, something with them. And as we got older, uh, and I was um, in high school and I was having all these crazy problems, you know, that the high school kids have, uh, he would go and meet with me. We'd go to Taco Haven right down the street and uh, we'd sit down and I'd start telling him my problems. We would order. And I remember he would reach into his pocket and he'd always pull out chile pequins because he had this plant uh, in his office and because he said that the salsa was never hot enough anywhere he went. So he would take out his chile pequins that he always had with him, reached into his pocket, pulled out his knife, and he would cut up the chile pequins into his food, whatever it was. And then he would uh, start doling out advice for me and just giving me great things and, and great wisdom to, to carry along with me. 
uh, through that. And what was cool about it was uh, a lot of it was rooted in his faith. Uh, which was completely unshakable. He wasn't the kind of guy that like walked around and talked about it and wore it on his chest, but it was something that he had with him at all times. And he did his best to live it out. And he was just, he was always great to have around for things like that. And that's exactly how I'll remember my grandpa. The guy who, um, who never met a stranger, always walked with faith, had the best advice, and the guy that loved Mexican food for breakfast and his chile piquins. Had to have those. So how will your family remember you? What legacy are you leaving behind in your life? What are you doing right now that will continue throughout history far after you're gone? Are they things that you would be proud of? I guess the real question that, that I'm asking you guys here is how are your current actions affecting your family? Now when I say family, it doesn't necessarily mean your blood relatives and parents and grandparents and children and all that. It could be your friends, the people that you're doing life with, like that, that close structure of family that you have around you. Either way, God cares about them. God cares about families. He believes the legacy that a family can leave behind can change the world, which is why our big idea for this week is your family can change the world. Your family can change the world. And do you know how I know that God believes families can change the world? It's because he's followed through with a plan like that before. He's trusted a bloodline, a family, to change the world. And we see exactly that in the Old Testament. So after Adam and Eve uh, introduced sin into this world in the Garden of Eden, humans were removed from the great relationship they had with God. They got to hang out with him and like high five him and chat with him during the day and they had a great relationship with him. But as soon as the sin came into the world, that stopped. They were removed from it. And it was something that God didn't like. So for the rest of time, he spent everything he could to try and get people back into the relationship, into that fellowship that he had with them once before. And that's where Abram comes into the picture who would later be named Abraham. You see, Abram had gone his whole life without having a child. He felt like he hadn't been able to actually pass on a legacy to anybody. So he prayed and prayed to God about having a child and about having a boy, particularly, to carry on his namesake, to have that heir. And nothing happened for a while. Abram was deep into his 70s, and there was still no child in his life. So he talked it over with his wife, Sarah, and they decided that they would just go ahead and adopt one of their servants to be their heir to everything that they had. And it was at this point that God intervened and revealed his plan for them. In Genesis 15, it says, then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So at the time, Abram had no idea what he was getting into, right? He just wanted a son. And here God's showing him the stars, right? And going, you see all that? If you can count that many, as high as you can count, that's how many descendants you're gonna have. So to give you guys some perspective 
on what that actually looks like, scientists believe that the number is roughly close to that. That's how many stars are in the observable universe. That's a one with 24 zeros after it. Talk about a legacy, right? That's for real, that's legit. So how could he ever have a family that big? Well, let's continue on to find out. Through his grandson, the 12 tribes of Israel came to this world and created the nation of Israel. So Abraham, as he was known at that point, was actually the grandfather of Israel. But it wasn't easy for these Israelites. You see, they would be captured and they would live in Egypt as slaves until God busted them out using Moses to kind of lead them out. And after God got them out of Egypt by parting the Red Sea, the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And during those 40 years, Moses passed away. And his servant, Joshua, took over that spot. And shortly after Joshua took over, they were received in the land that God had promised them. A land of milk and honey, a place where all the resources that they could ever ask for would be at their fingertips. Everything was fantastic for those guys. Not only that, they were listening to the words that Joshua was getting from God and relaying to them. Everything was great. In Judges 2, it says, and the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So it was great. But that was only while Joshua and his generation was alive. You see, after he died, things changed. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal, who was an idol worshipped by neighboring nations, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. So when they angered the Lord, what was really happening is, is um, they were removing themselves from blessing. What God said, and he laid down a handful of laws, he said, if you guys live your life within these laws, and we'll say it's this rug up here, if you live your life within these laws, you're going to be taken care of. My blessings will fall upon you. But what Israel wanted to do was walk out of that umbrella of blessing. And when they walked out, they were exposed to all the bad things that were happening in the world, to all the crazy nations that wanted to come against them. And that's exactly what happened. They stepped out of that umbrella of protection. And once they did that, everybody was coming and knocking at their door, pillaging their villages and taking over different parts of their land and everything was going wrong. Until somebody at some point was like, hey, remember our ancestors that used to worship this God? I think he did great things. We should start crying out to him once again. So they did just that. And God helped them out. What he did was he sent them a savior. They called it a judge. So this judge shows up and fixes everything bad that's going on. Fights the nations that he has to fight, defeats them, fixes things socially within the country, and, it, and everything's good to go. But because it was, they were just a mere mortal, their time would come and they would pass away also. And as soon as they passed away, 
Israel went right back to their terrible ways of not listening to God. As a matter of fact, biblically it says they got worse than they ever were before. And what's crazy about this is that 15 different times God sent the judge down to Israel to help them out. And 15 different times Israel rejected God after that judge died. How many of you guys have like a cousin or a family member or someone who's that person? They are going the wrong way. Somehow they get bailed out, but then they go right back to doing the exact wrong thing that they were doing. I know we've, got, we've all got somebody in our lives like that. So in Israel, what changed for them? What changed for them between Joshua when everything was good and they were listening and following him and listening and following to God to where the judges came in and they were doing everything wrong and worse every time? Well, it's simple. What changed is they forgot what God had done for them. That's it. So whose job was it to make sure that the Israelites knew what God had done before them before? What was the parents, the grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters? It was the family's responsibility to share this stuff with one another. And it's not much different these days with our families. We need to be reminding them of all the great things God has done in the lives of our family. Guys, this is what matters right here. We have to get this right, I beg you. We have to do this the right way. We have to be the ones teaching our kids, teaching our families around us the word of God. Otherwise, they will fall further than anything we've ever done in our lives. This is the legacy that we should want to leave behind in our world. This is how we should want to be remembered, as people that shared God's word. God wants us to avoid those mistakes of the Israelites. God wants us to change the world through our families. And there are some very practical ways that we can start that, some very practical ways that we can start planting those seeds within our family. The first one is family meals, family dinner, guys. It's, it's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, I understand that there's schedules and everybody's going crazy and you got like a baseball game here and a basketball game there and, you know, whatever, and everybody's got all this crazy stuff, but even if you can do it just one night a week, or let's say you're, you're the person that goes, man, I work nights, you know, I, I can't do that. I can't have that meal with my family like I would like. Well, do breakfast, do lunch, heat up a bag of popcorn every now and then, you know, whatever it might be, do whatever you can. Something is better than nothing. And before you have this meal, pray. Thank God for the meal. Thank God for what he's done in your life in that little prayer before you eat. Just something as simple as that can help start planting the seed in your family of remembering all the great things God has done, big or small. So here's another one. After you guys leave church, talk about what was going on today. What did you feel while you were worshiping through music? What were you thinking about uh, as the guy on stage was talking? Uh, some of you guys are asleep right now and you'll have to make something up later. Um, just agree with whatever the other person says. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt about what he was talking about. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, the kids, your kids that are next door in Kid City, ask them what they learned about today. 
because they might be covering something that we're not talking about in here, and then you'll end up learning about God from your own children, which is a really cool thing. And another one, have time set aside to do a family activity. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. You don't like have to go on a vacation to the coast or go to the anywhere around the country or spend any money at all. It could be something as simple as walking around the block. And while you're doing that, share the conversations with one another. Ask these questions about church, about God, about just what's happening in their lives. Now, I know some of you are like, hey, my neighborhood, it's not that great for walking around in the middle of the day or in the evenings or anything like that. And that's okay, because a couple blocks from here, there are a few miles of river walk that you can go up and down that's safe and paved and clean and all that good stuff, and you don't have to pay anything for it. The thing is, is just spend time with your family. Put your uh, technology away while you're spending the time with this family and just have the conversations with them. Connect with them on the most basic level like that. Now, for some of you guys, I know uh, you're not married or you don't have any kids, call your parents. I can guarantee you for most of you in this room that your parents would love to talk to you just about any time of day or night. So call them up, talk with them, invite them out for coffee, have a meal with them. Anything like that would be great. Now I know some of you have strained relationships with your families, with your parents. Well, this phone call could be the first step in breaking down those walls and having a new relationship with your family. Now, I know if you happen to be the rare person here that has no family around, what I want you to do is get your friends to be that structure around you. Lean on them, pray with them, talk about God with them, build up your friendships to be like that. No matter who you are, prayer can affect your family in fantastic ways. And right now we have a poster just outside and we'll have it set up there for the next few weeks where we're asking you guys to think about a family member to pray about during the next four weeks of this series. And then go out there, write their name on the board and pray about them every day. And what we'll do during the week is we'll grab that poster and we'll pray for all those people that you're praying for too, just to help you out. So these practical ways don't mean much if the foundation of it all isn't rooted in Jesus, isn't rooted in God and what he's done for us in our lives. Guys, Jesus didn't go through all that stuff on the cross so he could add another layer of complexity to having a relationship with him. No, he did it so that you could go through him and him directly to receive an eternity in heaven walking alongside him. He did it because he wanted to be a part of your family. He wanted you in his family. And in John 1, it says it like this, but all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So remember earlier, I was talking about Abraham and we saw that crazy number, one with 24 zeros after it, that's what the descendants were gonna look like. And we were wondering how in the world is he ever going to have that many descendants? Well, 40 generations after Abraham, somebody entered into his bloodline. Anybody want to take a guess? Jesus. Jesus 
entered into his bloodline, a direct descendant of Abraham. That's how he's going to get that many descendants in this world. It's through all the people that enter into God's family through Christ and believing simply in him. Galatians 3 explains it like this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So this relationship with Jesus, this relationship with God, was the foundation of what my grandpa did in his life and how he lived his life. So what's interesting, I know some of you out there are going, man, well, that's great. Your grandpa was awesome. Good for you. My family, it's jacked up. We've had all kinds of things going wrong. Nothing's good. And there's no, there's no chance with my family. Like, we're beyond that. Not like your perfect family that was always great. Well, with my grandfather, it wasn't always great for him either. As a younger man, he fought battles with alcoholism. And it wasn't easy. It affected his relationships. But one day, he decided to stop cold turkey, and never drank again. However, the damage it had done to his liver was irreversible. And 17 years after putting down alcohol in the fall of 2002, he was having to deal with all those decisions he made as a younger man. His doctors let him know that his liver was failing after battling cirrhosis. We got to spend one last Thanksgiving with him, a Christmas and a New Year's in a, in a hospital with him. And shortly after that, he was moved into a hospice facility. And it got worse and worse. I watched this man, who was a former Marine, that used to tell a million jokes, wither away and turn into something that that I didn't recognize anymore. And on March 16th, with his wife, children, and a few grandchildren in the room, including myself, he passed away. Now, because I was the oldest grandchild and because my grandma knew that we, my grandpa and I shared a, a special bond, she asked if I could speak at the rosary. And I remember a, a handful of things about those couple of days after he passed away. But the thing that, that just really stands out to me about that time was as I walked up to go and uh, tell my stories about my grandpa at the rosary, I looked out in, in, in the funeral home in that room and the pews were full. It was like standing room only. People were lined up across the back. I could see the doors open. People were standing outside listening to it. All these people had shown up to, 
honor my grandpa. And afterwards, uh, you know, they, as custom goes, everybody comes up and shakes hands and extends condolences and, and all that. But for this, it was different. It was different than um, any other rosary or anything I'd been to because it seemed like every single person that came over and shook hands and extended condolences would also have a great story to tell about my grandpa. And they were always like light up as soon as they would start telling the story and start talking about them. And, and what was incredible was that during this time, I was realizing that all these people felt exactly the same way about my grandpa as I did. It was a special time to know that this many people loved him in that way. Now, in his life, he could have continued to fight with alcoholism and succumb to it and lose and, and do all that. But instead, he chose something more. He wanted to live a better life with his family. He chose to have a legacy that lasted far longer than his time here on the earth. Now, he might not have been a perfect man, but over the course of today, his legacy, his influence, is having a spiritual conversation with each and every one of you right now. And you can make a choice, too, to leave a legacy like that behind, just like my grandpa. And someday you could see a brother a sister, a child, a grandchild, a good friend change the world in their own way. But your legacy, thank you, but your legacy has to start with believing in Jesus and believing that he died on the cross for you because that's the thing that matters the most in this world more than anything else. So if you're someone who came in here today and you don't think that you're a part of Jesus' family, if you're not a part of God's family, I just want to ask that you pray a simple prayer to receive that family and become a part of it. So if you all bow your heads and just pray along with me. Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to be a part of your family. Thank you for the sacrifice you made for me through your son, Jesus. And right here, right now, the best way I know how, I accept it. I accept that he died on the cross for my sins. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me into your family. Now with our heads still bowed, I want you guys who want to change their families. I want you guys to pray something like this with me. Father, thank you for being with my family. I ask that you would inspire me to be better with them. I ask that you would remind me to talk with them about you more regularly. I ask that you would move in our lives in a totally different level than you ever have before. Help me have a family that can change the world. Thank you so much. I love you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.